Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned or missed the mark or veered off the path and fallen short of the glory of God or God's perfect standard. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of the cost of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 5a says, But God demonstrated his love toward us or showed his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 10 verse 9 through 10 says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will not might be, not maybe, we will be saved. For with our hearts we believe we are now in right standing with God, and with our mouths we confess that we are now saved. Lastly, Romans 10 verse 13 says that whosoever, anybody, or everybody, who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, or you've walked away from him, and you would like to rededicate your life to him, you can just simply say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. In Jesus' mighty, precious name I pray. Amen. Hey, 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 welcome back to Chew the Bible. It's your good friend, A.A. Ron. It's a beautiful August 18th, 2023. We are now in Exodus chapter 2. And then after a little break, we'll read Matthew chapter 2. So let's go. King James Version. Moses. And there went a man of the house of Levi. And took to wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was goodly, a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it and saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. That's really cool. How these names come about. 
and it's a foreshadow because think about it eventually moses is gonna part the red sea god well god is gonna part the red sea but moses is gonna be the spearhead the person that leads the children of israel across the red sea I drew him out of the water. Interesting. All right. Verse 11. Child, it's interesting it's how child names can a lot of times, most of the time, have usually always have some type of meaning behind the name. There's a reason why. Even ones that don't make sense or you can't Google like traditional you know, definitions for a person's name, a child's name. Usually the parent has a reason for the name. There's like a story behind it. And that story behind every child's name usually a lot of times will play into that person's destiny. So it's cool. My name, my my whole life, my dad used to call me high priest, high priest, high priest, Aaron, the high priest. And uh, other definitions I looked up said exalted one. And another one, somebody recently, like a f- couple years ago, was like, it means bringer of light. So everywhere I go, I bring light. And so that's the cool thing about when you name your child something of meaning and substance and you you can speak that over them every single time so when they hear their name they're reminded of their destiny their calling their purpose so like my son uh, Aiden Joshua. Aiden means like little fiery one. Let me double check that. Yeah, it means fire, a little fire. And then uh, Joshua, you know, is somebody who was in the Bible. They were one of the, uh, the 10 spies. One of the ones that came back with a good report. And it's just a variation of the Hebrew name. Yeah, it's a Yehoshua, which means God is deliverance or savior, like Jesus. It's like a variation like Jesus. Shua, meaning to deliver or save. Yehoshua. So, Aiden and Joshua is a little fiery one who delivers. Saves, saves people. That's his. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna start speaking that over him even more. Um, Leah means tender eyes. <laughs> um, I need to come up with some kind of better way to speak life over my daughter, other than, and she was the one that was the daughter that was unloved. But see, it means delicate. Or weary. 
du 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 All right, where is the definition for or another definition I've seen is like ten like tender eyed and it's crazy because my daughter wears glasses. Leah. Um Weary means to feel or show tiredness, especially as a result of excessive exertion or lack of sleep. I'm just going to start quoting that one scripture. Even when I am weak, I, in my weakness, he is strong. Or I find some other scriptures about even in our, yeah, come to me all you are weary and I'll give you rest. <laughs> but her middle name, Denise. And let's see here. That's not a, a good definition because it means follower of Dionysus. Who the heck is Dionysus? The party guy, but also rules wine, pleasure, and fertility. I don't know why we gave her this name. Well, her, that's the thing, her. <clears throat> her, um, I should have, like, really stepped up and said something before I let her mom name her this. Because, okay. In Greek, the name means dedicated to God. But I'm going to say, not the Greek God, the one true God. Uh, I don't know why we named her this. Get hurt. Well, her, so her sister, former sister-in-law, her name, her middle name was Denise. That's why we gave her the same name. Ah, but these two names, Weary and Follower of Dionysus, is not good ones. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna some way to spin all this and speak life over my daughter, oldest daughter, that she is a even it even when she feels weary, she can cast all her cares on the Lord. All yeah, she can go to the Lord when she's weary. And the Lord will give her rest. And she follows God. Not Dionysus, but the one true God, Jesus Christ. All right, what else? I'm just thinking my other kids real fast. That's where our names real fast. So Matthew, I love Matthew because Matthew's one of my favorite people in the Bible. He's a tax collector. He's our third child. He, um... Matthew's officially 12 years old. Yeah, he's our third child. He, his name is Matthew Jonathan. And Matthew, uh, 
you know, he's the one who let this tax collector booth. That's one of the reasons why I like that name. Uh, that name means gift of God or gift of Yahweh. And I believe his middle name, Jonathan, also means gift of God. If I remember correctly. God has given. So he are graced by God. So he's a double given by God. Yeah, so he's like a double. It's like a double gift of God. All right, now let's go to Ava. And he was bold. And the tax collector willing to leave his entire stability, his job, to follow the Lord. So Ava... Is bird or bird like life, voice, sound, and in the Bible it means life. So she is, she really is full of life. And then her middle name is we gave her the middle name, same middle name as her grandmother. Which means holder of the heel, yeah, Jacqueline. It's a couple different. It means holder of the heel. May God protect a variation of Jacob, God who supplants. I like may God protect. So Ava is a life. Or a bird who God protects. <laughs> when I think of birds, they like bring joy, you know, when they, especially when they all a little chirping and they're seeing them fly and they look free. And so, yeah, I'm going to write all my kids' names out, their definitions of their name, and write some scriptures, like at least like three scriptures tied to their name. And every day, I'm going to pray those scriptures over them. And I'm going to give them to them so they have. I'm going to work on that. I should do that today. But anyway, uh, all right, let's get back to the word, y'all. So Moses, and she called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. Verse 11, and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. I just actually, it's crazy. I just listened to a sermon and the guy was talking about this exact story. How like before somebody is, if you look at surveillance cameras right before somebody's about to commit a crime or steal something or do something they shouldn't do. They always look to the left and look to the right, and they look to see if anybody's watching. <laughs> but the pastor, I think it was like Adrian Rogers, one of them pastors, he was like, but Moses failed to look up to God to see if God, to see God was watching his every move. So, yeah, he looked to the left. He looked to the right. And he saw that there was no man 
and he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. <laughs> it's funny, too, because he's like, Moses wasn't a very smart criminal either. You know, if he was smart, why would you hide a dead body in sand where this, the wind is going to blow it? And eventually the sand will expose the dead body. The wind's going to blow that sand away. You'll be able to see the dead body. So it wasn't very smart. Should have tied a millstone to the body and put him in the water or something. Anyway, uh, verse 13. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong. Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me? As thou killedest the Egyptian? So word had gotten out. The secret was out about Moses killing this Egyptian. Word traveled fast. This is before Facebook and the news and Twitter or whatever they call it, X now. And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters. It's interesting that the Bible. That'll be an interesting little project to go through and find all the scriptures where a well is mentioned. And I wonder... the significance of this particular well. So he goes to the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Raul, their father, he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock. Now, this is interesting because if you go back, remember? We read the whole story of Isaac and Rebecca and Rebecca watered. Rebecca watered. Isaac's camels, well, whatever that servant's name was that was instructed, that's how you would find Isaac's next wife is she'd be willing to, she'd be watering his his camels and it's a lot of a lot of water several gallons of water because camels drink a lot. And so anyway now we see Moses the way he's about to meet his wife I need to maybe go to a uh, a watering hole or like a lake or something. Maybe that's where I'll find my next wife. <laughs> it seemed like that's the meeting place. Yeah. But I wouldn't drink that water. Yeah. I find somebody who has an animal. Like, hey, can I, can I, can I give your animal some water? Anyway, I'm not a big fan of pets, though. Anyway. All right, let's keep going. And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water enough for us and watered the flocks. He delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. It's like all these little glimpses of Moses's story are being shown before he is any before he's the Moses that we watch on the movies. 
And that's in Bible stories. So never despise somebody in their humble beginnings. Like you never know who the next Moses is going to be, who the next David is going to be, who the next Joshua, Caleb and Gideon. Like never look at somebody where they're at because you never know where they're headed. Verse 20, and he said unto his daughters, and where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? The man call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses to pour his daughter. And she bare him a son. And he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. Hmm. I wonder what Zipporah looked like. I bet she was beautiful. All right, verse 23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. Bondage, suffering, pain will cause you to cry out to the Lord. There are no atheists <laughs> when, uh, when we're going through pain. Or any kind of suffering, people then all of a sudden people are like, Oh God, help. So they cried to the Lord and God hears our cries. He'll listen. He's a good father. He'll at least come and listen. Verse twenty four and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Now what's wild is like God already knows ahead. He's omniscient. He knows the past, present, and the future. And he knows all the things he's about to go through and endure in his relationship with the children of Israel. Yet here he is, ready to help and go through this journey with them. Dun 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 to be continued. Now enjoy. This lovely music. Part two, chew the Bible. We're in now Matthew chapter two. Reading out of the KJV, King James, King James version. Let's go. Wise men from the east. Wise men from the east. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, 
And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall you rule my people Israel. So much to unpack there. Somebody could preach like at least a five, ten minute sermon on going deeper into this. The main things that stand out to me, though, is this like. Here it is. Herod is like, hold on. Y'all coming to worship who? Who? Another king. Who is this king? You know. So I haven't heard about this guy. What are you talking about? And he's like, I need to go shut this down. And then it says he shall become, he shall be a governor, capital G, and shall rule his people. Lord is, Jesus is more than just a governor, though. It's one of his titles, but yeah, it's just one of his many titles. Now, he, I don't know, in our United States society, when we think of a governor, we think of a ruler over a, over a state, not over the entire United States, you know? And so, but Jesus is a ruler, is ruler over all. Sometimes it's easier to forget that, that Jesus is ruler over all, over everything. And I think a lot of people, like, especially... In a world where a lot of folks kind of like are turned off by politics and don't really pay attention too much to politics in general. It's kind of a bad word. But I've never, I've never, I don't even know who the governor of Missouri is. It's kind of sad. I should Google it. I think it's Eric Greens. No. Let's see. I used to know this. Governor of. Missouri Mike Parson I don't even know who Mike Parson is I've never seen this man maybe on an election ballot last time I voted I can't remember if I even voted oh yeah it's kind of sad I need to really get more in touch with politics but I don't even know this dude, right? I've never even heard him talk, right? And in a world where we're kind of out of touch with our politicians and it's like due to some scandals that have happened with our last president and other people in office, like there's a lot of mistrust of government and... So there's already those things going on on an earthly realm sense. So it only makes sense why people would be so slow to think of Jesus as the ultimate governor in a world where we don't like people don't even know who's in authority and have a lack of respect for authority. So. It's, yeah, there's a lack of respect for the invis- what seems to be invisible, but God, Jesus, Holy Spirit have, has made himself, his rulership, very evident. 
I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about God. Oh, it was the core Christianity. And there's a scripture that somebody asked that whole classic question about like, what about people who've never heard the gospel preached to them? Like how will they be held responsible for judgment? And I forgot the actual phrase, but like God has made his divine attributes evident in the world in creation. Even if we never had a Bible, even if we didn't know, even if without seeing God, like he's made himself evident, even just the fact that we are made in the image of God and people's natural inclination is justice. If you go into any society, even the most remote society in this world, you will see that they have some form of justice and some form of government in place. And that's a reflection of God, our creator. And so people will be held responsible to the degree of what they know about God. And for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus and who have heard all kind of preaching about Jesus, we're going to be held more accountable for what we know compared to somebody who doesn't have that same, hasn't had the gospel preached to them, you know, to the level and degree that we have. God will somehow judge it all perfectly. I don't know where I was going with all this, but yes, for out of these shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. Jesus is the ultimate governor over our lives, over our cities, over our country, over our world, over our universe. And there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, ruler, governor over our, over everything. It just hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. So you can either bow now or you can bow later. All right, verse 7. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Verse 11, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Each of those, I'm not going to go that deep into the that Bible calculus stuff, but the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh are all um, significant. All right, the flight to Egypt. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. 
When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Mm. So each time they say these little phrases about that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, these are all, this is another reason why we can, there's this, um, acronym from this book I can't remember the name of the book but uh, it's in my notes somewhere but my pastor has been doing this discipleship group we've been meeting we we had our first meeting at this coffee shop uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, and we talked about why there's this acronym for why the bible is reliable and why we can trust it and why it helps us, you know, apologetics defend our faith. And it's ass dud. So the A stands for apostleship. I'll just say them all and then I'll just kind of briefly describe them based on my understanding of what this book was saying. I need to go get the book. So there's apostleship, spiritualness, um, the D is, yeah, S is for spiritual. The D is for, uh, what is that word? I'm um, blanking out all of a sudden. Uh, no, we got this. We got this. The D is doctrine. The U is utility or usefulness. And then the last D is divine and divine inspiration, divinely inspired. So the first, um, and so anytime, yeah, it says all this stuff about, and it might be fulfilled, it might be fulfilled, it might be fulfilled. Um, it just, all right, let me get to it. So apostleship. The Bible was written by either an apostle or somebody that had direct contact with an apostle. So the person that wrote Exodus or the first five books of the Bible, I believe was Moses. No, was it Moses? Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Yeah, Moses. Was Moses an apostle? So both Moses and Jesus are considered apostles. There you go. So the book of Matthew was written by Matthew. Was Matthew an apostle? I'm, I'm just verifying this stuff before I just say anything. Yeah, Matthew is considered an apostle. What is an apostle? Each of the 12 chief disciples of Jesus Christ, any important early Christian teacher, especially St. Paul, apostle, uh, the first successful Christian missionary in a country or to a people. So, yeah, a vigorous and pioneering advocate or supporter of a particular policy idea or cause. So, yeah, usually I think of like, yeah, apostles, the best way is like a pioneer of a movement of a church. 
the the founding father of a and so yes Jesus is considered an apostle and he had 12 you know Matthew is one of them so the book of Matthew we can trust it because it was written by apostle and also that apostle had direct contact with an apostle in Jesus, the original apostle. And then, so there goes that. The Bible is spiritual. Um, as you read it, it is spirit. Yeah, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The Bible, um, it's like a double-edged sword dividing between soul and spirit. When you read it, something happened like as long as you have a your heart is in the right place because you can be reading the bible with a hard heart and not receive anything that you're reading you have to allow it to change you but like if you keep reading it long enough it's going to change your spirit man now your flesh may take a while to come along but your spirit man will change and then the D, what did I say the D was? Doctrinal, like doctrine. Um, I'm going to read the actual definition of that word. Like he, some of y'all probably heard of the Monroe Doctrine. Um, yeah, the whole, like, which is a stated principle of government policy, mainly in foreign or, or military affairs. Yeah, related to the military. Uh, you can let y'all go Google that stuff. Or some of y'all remember from your history class. But a doctrine, this is a, a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by a church, political party, or group, other group. So there's, it's like a prescription, like for life. Yeah, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's the acronym for the Bible. So it's like I can follow it to a T and it's going to impact my life. And other people can follow the Bible. So many people can follow, have used found the Bible, which brings me to the next one. Useful. It's a useful book. And what separates it from every other book out there is when you read the like it's like a mirror, you know, and. There's that one scripture that talks about how Jesus is raising up worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. I think it's in John 4, after the woman in the well story. And so it's like, if I approach the Bible, it's just like, even like no matter how you approach the Bible, right? No other book will radically change the way somebody lives. And then also give other people like a formula for how they can also have their lives radically change. Because every other book out there, what is the, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, I think what the, the Indians, a lot of Indians read. You got, you know, um, the Book of Mormon, you got um, the Quran. And I told a lady last night, she's like, why can't we just be 
you know, accepting of everybody's beliefs and just, uh, she had her own definition of what she felt Christianity was, and you know, just basically tolerance. And yeah, we're called to be, you know, kind to people. I was like, I was like, if you saw a burning, like somebody in a burning building, I'm not going to sit there and just be all like, love you. Like, it's everything's okay. It's going to be all right. Don't worry. Just your house is on fire. Your building's on fire, but everything's going to be okay. Just stay right there in the burning building. To me, Catholicism, um, Islam, any other religion that doesn't profess Jesus Christ as Lord, it's like being in a burning building. And that's a radical statement. Some people think that you're crazy for saying that, but like, I am going to do my best, everything I can to rescue you out of that burning building. Well, honestly, I can't. I'm not bold enough, brave enough, strong enough, powerful enough to rescue you from the flames of hell. Only Jesus can do that. My job is just to point you to the person that can rescue you. But you have to want to be saved. Like You have to jump. And you have to be willing to jump. And know that Jesus is there waiting to catch you. Or, yeah. Yeah, you have to allow him to pull you out of the flames. He can't do it for you. It's called free will. So, anyway, that's a whole deeper discussion. But... What I'm trying to say is, where was I trying to say? Useful. The Bible is useful because it keeps us from experiencing hell here on earth. It keeps us from going back into the burning buildings of religion, which is one of the worst burning buildings you can be in. The worst forms of hell you can experience on earth is religion. Ooh, bondage, yeah, prison. That's another analogy you can use, prison. Um, religion is prison. Ooh, that's a bar. Religion, I'm about to post that in my Facebook. Religion is prison. Anyway, um, what else? All right. So it's useful for setting captives free. I ain't going to post it on Facebook. I'm kind of laying low on Facebook. But I am going to write that now. That's a good quote. Religion is prison. I need to also write my little convo. My pastor called me about an hour ago. Convo with Pastor Lewis around 9 a.m. What's the day? 8-18-23. All right. Here we go. I bet, y'all. I kind of got on a whole tangent. Oh, lastly... Divinely inspired. The Bible, the reason why you can trust the word of God, because it's divinely inspired. Like, I always say humans aren't smart enough to write this thing. Um, Like, to have prophecies like that that were written before and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken. That 
so it might be fulfilled is written so many i let me see here let me see if i can find it how many times does it say so it might be fulfilled in bible this is probably a better question for chat gpt It says it a lot, but all right, how many, how many Bible prophecies have already been fulfilled? All right, let's, I'm not going to find the answer to that pretty quickly. I'm going to Ancient prophecies revealed. 500 prophecies listed in order. All right, so there's over 500. There's a book written about this. A lot. Here, let's see here. Godquestions.org. Professor and theologian J. Barton Payne lists 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. Boom. It's on GodQuestions.org. How much of the Bible is prophecy? I'll let y'all go look up that that article. It says, by one count, about 27% of the Bible is predictive or prophetic. Over a fourth of the Bible. Like, take, it would take a genius to make all those prophecies and to make them all come true, like, have them all come true. Like, no human could do that. That's God. Who else? What? Show me another book or text that has that level of prediction and accuracy. As far as I know, they, all the prophecies in the Bible have already been fulfilled. We're just waiting on... Well, there's a few left? I don't know. I need to look. Read more about this Bible prophecy. It's not my expertise, but my main point in saying this divinely inspired, like all even there's 66 books written in the Bible, and what's the one the ones that have been canonized? Not all the ones that outside the ones that weren't canonized yet, or not yet. But there's a reason why they were left out. I'm not gonna go that deep into it, but like a, a group of priests pastors like got in a room and they all agreed on which books should be in the bible yeah, i can go deeper into the history of that i need to find this book because it explains a lot of this stuff but anyway 66 books written by over like 40 authors right and they all were divinely inspired to write it and it's like it would take like you can't make this stuff up like to have 40 different people tell all these stories that all point to one man like jesus is the star of the show um that's not easy to do that is not shoot the probabilities of that of just having 40 different authors write a book about anything and getting them to agree on anything like it's hard and so anyway the bible can be trusted and 
I'm along. It's a long way of saying like whenever it says so it might be fulfilled, so it might be fulfilled, so it always might be fulfilled. That's a good time to like stop and pause and like see what they're talking about. And um, just know like oh, prophecy alert. This is a prophecy that's been fulfilled. So pay attention. All right. Verse 16. And then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked, sometimes I go on these tangents and I'm like, sometimes like, man, was that worth going down? Like, maybe it'll help somebody. I don't know. If anything, it's helping me process through what I'm reading. All right. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise man, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and, and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Sad, all them babies were not killed. Then was fulfilled, there you go, that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not Returned to Nazareth, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose, and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled. There you go. Again, might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. There's this owl outside of my apartment. It's hooing and hooing. <laughs>